0: It happened, it happened, it happened. The Amari Cooper breakout game. There is now balance in the force. This was the last event we were waiting for. The last thing we needed to see this fantasy season, the Amari Cooper splash play. That was it on my bucket list for the season. We had the Jarek McKinnon breakout and now we have the Amari Cooper splash play. Check, please. I will be leaving a nice tip And getting the hell out of here, my work is done. Predicting on the last show that Amari Cooper would finally start to benefit from on-field randomness in the form of a defender falling down, allowing him to score a long touchdown. (laughs) (laughs) That happened and you can't make it up. It happened and you can't make it up. Show before that, Rich Rebar and I insisted you go out and trade for Amari Cooper in all formats, specifically trade Duke Johnson plus for Amari Cooper. We even gave you the exact players to trade for Amari Cooper. I tried. I tried to acquire Amari Cooper in multiple dynasty leagues, but unfortunately, those dynasty leagues are listener leagues. It doesn't work in a listener league. They're listening. That's the whole thing with the listener league. They're listening. (laughs) They know that the offers are coming from Amari Cooper. It's like deja vu. I just heard the show. No, I'm not accepting this trade. Get out of here. Podfather, who the hell are you? Ah, Telegraph that. Yeah. Telegraphed the trade offer on the show, and the minions are just too savvy. Too savvy, minions and only minions. That's right. You have to be an official supporter of the show on Patreon. Go to Patreon.com and search Podfather, and that's how you qualify for a listener league. We have close to ten listener leagues up and running right now, and more will launch this off season. So the sun is shining once again through my windows. Basking in the warmth of the hot takes. Get Amari Cooper. But a lot of analysts are now claiming to be Amari Cooper advocates. It's funny how that works. After the fact. Always after the fact. You have the analysts come out with the always bet on talent. Hashtag talent analysis. Yes. Yes. After the touchdowns are scored, right? After. Not before. Not before, after. Well, one analyst we know was insisting you trade for Amari Cooper before. His name's Evan Silva. So any ex post facto of Amari Cooper coming from Evan Silva is legitimate but not from the others, especially the same cast of characters at NFL Network and ESPN that we consistently criticize on this show. They wanted to be first with the always bet on hashtag talent analysis. (laughs) Really? Really? Since when are those analysts the analysts you trust to evaluate talent in quotes? Since when? The same analysts bracing for the Cody Latimer breakout last year, the Jalen Strong breakout this year in week one, and the Kevin White breakout every year. Those guys are not the talent evaluators that I trust. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm not interested in who the draft capital zealots believe is talented. I'm just not interested in that at all. Because if you're drafted in the top 10 like Kevin White, many of the mainstream analysts just assume that player has talent. They've said as much on Twitter. And even second and third round draft capital, they just assume those players will break out eventually. It's your turn, Jalen Strong. It's your turn, Cody Latimer. Just a matter of time for Laquan Treadwell. No, it's not. You can't just outsource your talent evaluation to NFL scouts and expect a high hit rate. But we didn't need scouts to tell us that Amari Cooper was talented. We knew Amari Cooper was talented based on his breakout age on playerprofiler.com, based on his college dominator, based on his workout metrics, based on everything. He checks every box. That's why we still maintained faith in Amari Cooper's ability, in his hashtag talent. But it was a leap of faith. And even the most ardent believers did not see a 44 PPR point outburst coming last night. According to Rich Rebar at Lord Reeves, a show favorite, Amari Cooper entered Thursday night with 38.6 PPR fantasy points on the year. He was wide receiver 72 before the night. He was wide receiver 16 at the end of the night. That's fucking cool. But already the buzzards have swooped in. Why didn't you have Amari Cooper ranked ahead of Michael Crabtree in your weekly rankings? (laughs) Really? Have you seen the way Michael Crabtree's been playing this year vis-a-vis Amari Cooper? (laughs) You don't go to our rankings for leaps of faith. You go to the rankings for a clinical analysis of opportunity and efficiency in the context of the next week's opponent. That's essentially what the weekly rankings are. They're very clinical, and so far this year, relatively accurate. Playerprofiler.com forward slash rankings. You can see our weekly rankings, our seasonal rankings, our dynasty rankings, and there have been numerous occasions where members of this audience tweeted us at Roto Underworld. Thank you. Thank you. I almost made a really bad decision with my lineup. The rankings saved me. Thank you. There is a separation of church and state with the podcast and the rankings. We can come on here and yell about Amari Cooper for 10 minutes. That doesn't mean we go and override our analytical models, which we are loyal to, on a whim. No, you don't want that. You want a separation of church and state, of podcast and rankings. So you can consume both and make the right decision. So, for example, in the FFPC, a high-stakes league, I played Amari Cooper. It was close between Amari Cooper and a couple other players in the rankings, and I chose Amari Cooper because I recognized based on the analysis that was already laid out by Rich Rebar and others, that because Amari Cooper has such a wide range of options, his ceiling is so high, especially in a game against the Chiefs, you have to play him even if he's projected to score slightly less points than another player. When we talk about running your own damn fantasy team, that's what I talk about. You need to make those observations. You need to synthesize that information. And then you need to make the best decision. You're the general manager of your fantasy team. It's your responsibility, ultimately. What Player Profiler provides are a set of tools to help inform your decision-making. This show helps inform your decision-making. It doesn't tell you what to do. That's not my job. And that's not what Player Profiler is. On this show, I am strident and I am obnoxious. The website is neither strident nor obnoxious. You have a lot of people that don't like the show that love the website. You have a lot of people that love the show and rarely visit the website. It's fine. In our Dynasty rankings, for example, Deshaun Watson has overtaken Jameis Winston. He's not a top five quarterback. No, we need to see more. Neither is Carson Wentz. We need to see more. But they've both overtaken Jameis Winston because the sample size on Jameis Winston is growing and we're not impressed, right? No one is. But I will remain entrenched in my position that Deshaun Watson is Doug Flutie for the remainder of the season because we are going to ride this take out. You need to let your takes fully cook. This one is not fully baked yet. The Deshaun Watson is Doug Flutie take will continue to simmer even as he rises up the player profiler rankings. And that's the right approach. And we will continue to blast away with hot takes on this show. Just blasting away in all directions. That won't change even if one day a seemingly misguided tweet of mine gets retweeted (gasps) in my face. Yes, you don't want to give extreme contrarian opinions on Twitter because (gasps) it could end up being wrong one day. We don't want that. No, no. I mean, not wrong like believing Kevin White, Laquan Treadwell, Jalen Strong, Cody Latimer have next level talent. No one is that wrong. Well, but wrong. Someone might retweet that one day. Scroll through the annals of Twitter. Mining for that nugget, that bad tweet from six months ago. that You can unearth with a timely retweet. Yes. Charles McDonald at Four Verts. He has a podcast called Setting the Edge. He recently trolled me with a retweet of my Deshaun Watson analysis. When I looked at Deshaun Watson, I did not see an NFL quarterback. Now... The problem with that analysis was a lack of data. Deshaun Watson is an NFL quarterback. That's a certainty. As was Doug Flutie, by the way. Doug Flutie was an exciting playmaker with some big-time NFL performances on his resume. But I took it to the furthest extreme and said Deshaun Watson can't play in the league. That specific analysis has been proven wrong, and there are lessons to be learned from incorrect positions. In my case, I overemphasized Deshaun Watson's throw velocity. In reviewing the database, the throw velocity has less significance than I believed. We have less than 100 documented throw velocities for NFL quarterbacks. Yes, Deshaun Watson falls into the third percentile, but he falls into the third percentile of a data pool of less than 100 observations. Every day, data scientists take misguided positions based on the law of small numbers. No one is safe from the law of small numbers because it so conflicts with our intuition. 100 quarterbacks, it feels like a lot. It's not. It's a small sample. It feels like an NFL quarterback needs to have above average arm strength to succeed. That, that's not true. Look at Tyrod Taylor. So that was the flaw in my reasoning, but I remain entrenched in the opinion that Deshaun Watson is overrated, and that actually is reflected in our rankings because our lifetime value formula that powers our dynasty rankings requires an underlying assumption about a particular player's future performances and we're more bearish on deshaun watson moving forward than others others have already run out to the extreme on the other end of the deshaun watson spectrum and have posted up deshaun watson as their number one dynasty quarterback (laughs) no no please please don't do that please don't right i mean why would you do that You see Deshaun Watson just rocketing past Mariota and Cam Newton and Russell Wilson. Like, no, no, stop it! But the threat of a retroactive retweet will not be preventing me from espousing contrarian opinions on Twitter. It just won't. And what I love to do on this show is delve into the mind of the buzzard. In this case, a Charles McDonald. And ask the question, why and how do you come across a tweet that's three months old and then decide you're going to retweet it? And it's not even a tweet on the person's timeline. It's a reply to someone else's tweet. Think about the process that one has to go through to find that tweet. It sounds really tedious. Is scrolling for hours looking for any tweet with the keyword Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, one of the most popular quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Think about how long that would take. Think about how tedious that exercise is. I mean, just staring at the computer for hours, just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Playing detective, waiting to find that tweet so he can run in, hit the retweet button, and gotcha! I gotcha! right? It's like, what are you doing? That is lame. It's cheesy and lame, not to mention illegitimate and invalid because it's ex post facto criticism. If you quote tweeted the tweet at the time it was tweeted, you could come over the top with, this is wrong because... Or, this is wrong, I believe Deshaun Watson will post X fantasy points this year. That's how you do it. That's the legitimate way to criticize another analyst. But not to go back three months and play the result. That is the heights of social media lameness. Really what it is, is just cheesy and boring. If you've decided that your hobby is to scroll through timelines for hours a day looking for gotcha tweets to retweet well there are many other more productive and enjoyable endeavors in american culture at this moment right (laughs) it's just it also shows an unhealthy obsession with a player i like tom brady you know i love Jarek mckinnon of course i love jeff janice but i don't like these players enough to keyword search the cloud to find negative sentiments about those players. <laughs> I mean, what? Maybe Jeff Janis, because the results would at least be manageable, but not Deshaun Watson. I mean, that is an unhealthy obsession. The act of keyword searching the name of your favorite player and scrolling for hours looking for opportunities to defend him. I really love this player. You're saying bad things about him. You're saying he'll win a lot of championships in the CFL. That's not cool. Your opinion that he's not as good as I think he is is misguided. He's awesome. Say he's awesome. Say it. If you don't, I'll retweet this. Like, what? I can't imagine an activity that is more lame. And I will totally do it one day if I haven't done it already. I love that we're 20 minutes in and still no analysis of the upcoming week 7 (laughs) matchups. Don't care! I refuse to allow these football games to get in the way of my self-involvement. But I will tell you, this is the week of the slot receiver, starting with the best slot receiver in the NFL, Doug Baldwin. We know that Doug Baldwin is an elite slot receiver. And on the surface, you might think, oh, well, he's playing the Giants, one of the league's best secondaries, top 10 in the NFL in preventing wide receivers from scoring fantasy points. But Janoris Jenkins is the cornerstone defensive back in that secondary. He's the reason why the Giants can be a nightmare for opposing wide receivers. But I don't think he'll match up with Doug Baldwin. I think Doug Baldwin will avoid Janoris Jenkins this week. For that reason, on our rankings, we have Paul Richardson and Tyler Lockett ranked lower than consensus because those two receivers will take turns Facing off with Janoris Jenkins. Meanwhile, Doug Baldwin will match up with Eli Apple and or Dominique Rogers Cromartie. And Dominique Rogers-Cromartie is the weakest link in that secondary. We have cornerback pages on PlayerProfiler.com. Dominique Rogers-Cromartie's coverage rating: negative 5.7. That's 91 in the NFL. That's not good. Anytime you have a negative coverage rating, that's bad. He's allowing a QB rating against over 100 and an 88.8% catch rate. An 88. 8% catch rate. That's 97th in the league. If you throw the ball at wide receivers being quote unquote covered by Dominic Rogers Cromartie, they will catch it. And Doug Baldwin's slot rate is 51.7%. So whenever the Seattle Seahawks line up in three receiver sets, that means Doug Baldwin is in the slot. So I think the targets will funnel to Baldwin and Graham specifically. This will be the week that Baldwin and Graham both approach 10 targets and the other receivers barely get looks. A bit different with Dallas this week. I think all the receivers will feast because the Cowboys are facing the 49ers, of course. But I think Cole Beasley will challenge Des Bryant to be the Cowboys target leader this week because he'll face off against Quan Williams. Quan Williams is a slot sieve. His coverage rating, negative 5.5. His QB rating allowed, 101.5. Similar to Dominique Rogers, cromartie but his target separation, which is another metric we capture on cornerbacks, the number of yards between themselves and the wide receiver on any given target, 2.2. That's a wide target separation. That's 82nd in the league. And If there's one thing that we know Cole Beasley can do, it's gain separation on defensive backs. So Cole Beasley could easily surpass 10 targets as the 49ers allow the fifth most receptions to opposing wide receivers. So this is the week to play Cole Beasley. Finally! While Des Bryant and Cole Beasley are feasting this week, T.Y. Hilton and Dante Moncrief will be eating mayonnaise sandwiches as they suffer under the tyranny of the NFL's most terrifying cornerback duo, Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye, a.k.a. Rambo. You know who Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye will be dressing up as this Halloween? Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, (laughs) terrifying. And Boye's metrics are better than Ramsey's on playerprofiler.com. But Ramsey's been shutting down the X receiver while Boye's been even more effective against the often lesser Z receivers. But together, woo. The Jaguars are Broncos East. That's what they are. They have taken the mantle from the Denver Broncos as the best secondary in the NFL. You can't play wide receivers against Jacksonville. You just can't. I mean, you can. You can play T.Y. Hilton. You can. On any given play, he can catch a 50-yard touchdown. That's in his range of outcomes, of course, but it's not something you bet on. We're going to look up. T.Y. Hilton will have four catches for 45 yards, and why? Because Jacksonville. Because Jacksonville. Because Jaguars. Because Rambo. Yo, yo, Adrian, these Jacksonville defensive backs, they're pretty tough. Not as tough as me, though. Yeah, they're tougher than you, Sylvester. They're the best, one exception. There's one cornerback better than A.J. Boye and Jalen Ramsey. And by the way, if you didn't know this already, go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings and click on the cornerback tab of the seasonal rankings. That's where our cornerback rankings are, man. Our cornerback rankings are the best in the business because we factor in cornerback target share In a way that the scouting services do not. When a cornerback is targeted heavily and breaking up numerous passes, the scouting services give that cornerback a lot of credit. Top five grade. We do not. We hold that against the cornerback. If you're being targeted heavily, that means quarterbacks believe you're a weak link. You're vulnerable. The fact that quarterbacks are not targeting Josh Norman and Richard Sherman is one of the reasons why Josh Norman and Richard Sherman are higher in our rankings than their grades posted by other services. And that goes for a lot of the top cornerbacks around the league. A lot of the brand-name cornerbacks actually perform better, are higher ranked on the playerprofiler.com cornerback rankings than they are elsewhere. And the reason is simple. We give you credit for not being targeted. In a way the others do not. That's why I believe we have the best cornerback rankings. No better example than the dichotomy between our ranking and the consensus ranking of Jimmy Smith. Because Stephon Diggs is in a lose-lose situation this week. If he sits, he takes a zero. So everybody loses. If he plays at less than 100%, he'll be overmatched by a truly impressive size speed specimen cornerback, Jimmy Smith. He's number one on the playerprofiler.com rankings. Why is that? He has the highest coverage rating. He has the lowest passer rating allowed, the lowest catch rate allowed, and the fewest fantasy points allowed per game. Jimmy Smith is allowing opposing wide receivers to score a grand total of 3.6 fantasy points per game. If you're number one by every measurement, then you're the best. It's that simple. And if some scouting service says, oh, Jimmy Smith is outside the top 10, they're doing it wrong. It's not a trustworthy evaluation system. Jimmy Smith is simply the best. And while Stephon Diggs is in a lose-lose situation, that puts Adam Thielen in a win-win situation. If Stephon Diggs sits, Adam Thielen becomes an immense target hog. He could command 15 targets this week. Now, he won't because very few points will be scored in the Vikings-Ravens game. So a touchdown is unlikely. But double-digit targets will be in play for Adam Thielen. Assuming Stephon Diggs doesn't play... We have Adam Thielen as a top 10 wide receiver. Why? Follow the targets. He'll be matched up with Jimmy Smith, and it won't matter. It won't matter because, like with Doug Baldwin and like with Cole Beasley, the Vikings will hide Adam Thielen in the slot. He has a 55.7% slot rate. He lines up in the slot as much as any receiver in the league. He's right there with Cole Beasley. His slot rate is higher than Doug Baldwin's. So whenever Adam Thielen can escape clutches of Jimmy Smith, he will be targeted. It's okay if Jimmy Smith shuts down Adam Thielen when they're matched up with one another in one receiver sets, for example. That's fine. Because in those three receiver sets, Adam Thielen will be feasting and all the sharp DFS players will tell you this. Opportunity matters more than efficiency. In a playerprofiler.com context, that means target share matters more than production premium. So even though Adam Thielen will either match up with Jimmy Smith or Brandon Carr, some member of one of the top secondaries in the league, one that's only allowing 22 total fantasy points per game to opposing wide receivers, he will find a way to score PPR points. This is the week of the slot receiver. It's also the week of Derrick Henry because it looks like DeMarco Murray's not going to play. You want to retroactively retweet my analysis? Why don't you retweet my claim from three weeks ago that Derrick Henry looks like a league winner? If DeMarco Murray doesn't play against the Seattle Seahawks, I believe that he would have wally-pipped DeMarco Murray and become a Fantasy Football League winner. I'm convinced that would have happened. In a sliding doors, what-if scenario, an alternative universe, as we examine the unfalsifiable hypothetical, what if DeMarco Murray had not played against Seattle, where would Derrick Henry be ranked in redraft leagues right now? I believe he would be a top 10 running back and we're right back where we started. There's Derrick Henry creeping into the top 20 of the PlayerProfiler.com seasonal rankings. And if he excels this week against Cleveland, a game in which the Tennessee Titans should enjoy significant positive game flow in the second half, Derrick Henry getting 20 to 25 carries in the absence of DeMarco Murray, don't be surprised if you open Player Profiler's seasonal rankings a week from now and you see Derrick Henry in the top 10. Why don't you retweet that from three weeks ago? And I'm getting a lot of questions about Aaron Rodgers, the fallout in Green Bay. How does that injury impact Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams? You want to hear more from me on this topic? Of course you do. It's by far and away the number one trending topic in fantasy football. What do you do with Packers skill position players post Aaron Rodgers? Fortunately... I produce an extra show every week, a patron cast. It's called The Backstage Pass, and this week I focus solely on the fallout from Aaron Rodgers' Broken Clavicle. Go to patreon.com, search Podfather, or just go to the podcast description on iTunes and click the link. It's right there. Join the listener community and get access to an extra show per week, this week's show was devoted to the Green Bay Packers. Because today, I don't want to focus on mainstream fantasy football options. I don't want to shop for brand names. This is a great week to dig deep. We saw it last night. Look at Demarcus Robinson. Five catches, 69 yards. 12 PPR points from Demarcus Robinson. That's a productive night. Eight targets for Demarcus Robinson led all Chiefs. You need to roster Demarcus Robinson if you haven't already. Well, how could we have seen this coming? Demarcus Robinson, you haven't talked about Demarcus Robinson yet. Well, I don't have time to talk about every player on every team, but when you go to Demarcus Robinson's profile on playerprofiler.com and click on Game Log, there you will see two very, very important data points. Snap Share and Routes. In week six against Pittsburgh, who is allowing the fewest fantasy points to opposing wide receivers, Demarcus Robinson posted a 95% snap share, and he ran 31 routes with five targets. That's exceptionally encouraging. He's a starting wide receiver on one of the NFL's signature high-efficiency offenses. Yeah, he's a player you want to roster. Of course. Now, I had planned to talk about Demarcus Robinson this week regardless. He just happened to have a Thursday night game, so now it looks like I am participating in ex post facto play the result analysis, but he was on my list of late round everything options to talk about. In fact, he was number one for that reason, the 95% snap share in the 31 routes. Other receivers that posted high snap shares and Route participations last week that went largely unnoticed include Tanner Gentry, Trey McBride, Benny Fowler, and Leonte Carew. So those were my top five deep league ads at wide receiver this week. Number one, Demarcus Robinson. Number two, Benny Fowler, because the Emmanuel Sanders injury looked severe. And now Emmanuel Sanders has the dreaded week-to-week rehabilitation timetable. It looks like Devontae Parker is not going to play this week, which means Le'onte Carew will start again opposite Jarvis Landry. And the Bears rolled out Tanner Gentry and Trey McBride in two receiver sets last weekend. Kendall Wright was nowhere to be seen. Now, Demarcus Robinson was the best candidate to pick up because he went from facing the league's staunchest pass defense in the Pittsburgh Steelers to one of the friendliest for fantasy points, the Oakland Raiders. So anytime you're moving into a starting role, you get to face a team like the Oakland Raiders, you're a buy. You're absolutely a buy. Now, Demarcus Robinson's not a league winner. He looks like a prototypical, productive NFL slot receiver. The 77th percentile agility score, 1096 agility. The other workout metrics are below the 50th percentile. He was not a dominant college producer, wasn't particularly efficient, doesn't have an early breakout age. A lackluster profile overall, with the exception of that agility, meaning he can be successful in the slot. And that's where they're deploying him. In three receiver sets, they're deploying Demarcus Robinson in the slot with Albert Wilson and Tyreek Hill on the outside. And where does Alex Smith like to throw the ball, generally speaking? Underneath. I know that we're seeing a different Alex Smith this year, and he's just throwing long range missiles to Tyreek Hill and Albert Wilson, but the previous... Twelve years of Alex Smith demonstrated an unwillingness to stretch the field and a tendency to check it down to underneath receivers. So you know Demarcus Robinson will be heavily targeted in the weeks ahead. Just book it. Now, after Demarcus Robinson, Tanner Gentry received the most significant snap and route tree expansion. I mean, who is this guy? Who is this Tanner Gentry character? He gets called up from the practice squad and immediately gains a 98% snap share and runs 21 routes. I mean, Demarcus Robinson ran 31 routes. That's why he was the best of the late round options this week. Hashtag late round everything. But Tanner Gentry was on the field for 98% of the snaps last week and only received one target. His workout metrics are even less impressive than Demarcus Robinson's. However, Tanner Gentry posted a 44.8% college dominator. He looks a lot like Cole Beasley. Except while Cole Beasley's 5'8", 177, Tanner Gentry is 6'1", 208. Tanner Gentry was a dominant college receiver with uncommon burst, a 126.1, 78th percentile burst score. And Cole Beasley's workout metrics are proportionally very similar, except he wasn't a dominant college producer. Tanner Gentry was. Cole Beasley's 28, Tanner Gentry's 22. Cole Beasley's 5'8", Tanner Gentry's 6'1". So I am rostering Tanner Gentry in every dynasty league in which he's available. And I'm in one very deep seasonal league where I went and scooped up this Tanner Gentry. I can't believe his name's Tanner. We've been looking for a wide receiver whiter than Cole Beasley, and we finally found it in Tanner Gentry, (laughs) the whitest. And of course, where did he go to college? Wyoming. Oh, of course. It was either Wyoming or Duke. I'm not sure how. The Duke Blue Devils recruiters missed on Tanner Gentry. I mean, that is an epic fail by the Duke coaching staff. How the hell did Duke not woo Tanner Gentry? They lost him to Wyoming. Trey McBride, on the other hand, on the other side of the formation from Tanner Gentry, has a much more exciting profile. He has a 123.7 92nd percentile Spark X score because across the board, he offers great size adjusted athleticism and a 37.8% 73rd percentile college dominator rating and an early breakout age. Nothing not to like on the Trey McBride prospect profile. So even though he received less snaps and ran fewer routes last week than Tanner Gentry, in Dynasty, you would prefer Trey McBride. The ceiling is higher. But when you zoom in and you analyze fantasy football as a week-to-week endeavor, and you project fantasy points clinically based first and foremost on opportunity, that's why we have Tanner Gentry ranked higher this week than Trey McBride. It exemplifies how we do not allow the fantasy-wanting and the excitement that swirls around workout metrics to influence the weekly projections. I'm proud of that. But of all the late-round receivers we've talked about, the best under-the-radar ad for this week has to be Benny Fowler because he'll be a starting receiver against the Chargers. The Chargers are allowing 3.85 fantasy points above the mean to opposing wide receivers, and he's a starter. He's a starter. He's sliding into Emmanuel Sanders' role. It will absolutely be Benny Fowler receiving a 95% snap share, not Cody Latimer. Sorry, fake talent evaluators. Simply basing their dynasty rankings on draft capital? Not sorry. Benny Fowler also has an impressive Spark X score, just like Trey McBride, 116.8, 82nd percentile. But lower dominator, later breakout age. But what has Benny Fowler accomplished? Years of service. He's 26 years old. Eventually, the years of service matter. He continues to win 53-man roster spots. When they're releasing the Cody Latimers and sliding them in on the practice squad, they're not doing that with Benny Fowler. Benny Fowler's compelling the Denver Broncos to activate him on game day, and he's been doing that for years. As the years tick by, the relevance of his prospect profile fades and the fact that he's continued to win roster spots in preseason and compel the team to activate him on game day matters. Hell, we have Benny Fowler as a top 40 option this week because of that. He'll be a starter in a game in which the Denver Broncos will need to throw the ball to be competitive. But if I were selecting one of these late-round-everything options in a vacuum, it would be Le'onte Carew. And when you go to our dynasty rankings, there you'll see Le'onte Carew ranked higher than every player I've talked about thus far. Because of course he is. He's Le'onte Carew. One of the most impressive wide receiver prospects to enter the NFL in many years. I believe he just needs an opportunity. I believe if... Jarvis Landry were to get hurt and Leonte Carew were to be inserted into the Jarvis Landry role for the Miami Dolphins, that Leonte Carew's efficiency would be higher across the board. Target premium, production premium, yards per target, higher, 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 higher than Jarvis Landry. Because Leonte Carew, unlike Jarvis Landry, has terrific size-adjusted speed, 101.5, 73rd percentile speed score. And his dominator, I mean, it's hard to believe. It's so sexy it's 63.9. That's his Dominator rating. At a Division I program, it doesn't get any sexier than that. He checked all the boxes coming out of Rutgers. That's why the Dolphins traded multiple future picks to get Leontay Carew two years ago. The problem is he's on Miami, one of the least efficient, least productive offenses in the league. And Jarvis Landry's not going away. And Kenny Stills is one of the most efficient wide receivers on a per-target basis in the NFL. So he's competing with an entrenched incumbent and another efficient receiver for the handful of targets that get distributed on one of the NFL's lowest volume offenses, receiving passes from the always indifferent Jay Cutler. So of all the wide receivers we've talked about, Leonte Carew, even while likely starting this week, happens to find himself in the least attractive situation. I just want him to flash. We just have to close our eyes and hope that Leonte Carew flashes. That would do wonders for his future outlook. Show the Miami coaches a glimpse of his potential, of his ability, what they have in Leonte Carew. That may lead to future snaps and routes and targets and touchdowns that would show the dynasty league community what Leonte carew can do and his dynasty stock would rise accordingly god knows i own him in enough leagues it would be nice to see his dynasty stock rise at least a slot a slot but of all the late round players who took advantage of the opportunities granted to them the two most impressive in recent weeks by far orleans darkwa and deon lewis just like Benny Fowler, the most impressive accomplishment on Orleans Dark was resume is his ability to make the team. Just continues to make the team. Now, 25 years old, he's just been making the team, making the team. When you're undrafted, when you're Joik Bell and you're turning 26, and you've yet to receive a true opportunity to shine, you just have to keep making the roster in preseason and hope. Well, this year, the running back depth chart fell apart around Orleans Darkwa, and he's been the last man standing that has an all-purpose skill set. I mean, 71st percentile straight line speed, 83rd percentile burst score, 68th percentile agility score. He's an upper percentile athlete who was also relatively dominant at the college level, 32.3% college dominator. He accounted for well over 30% of Tulane's offense. That's impressive. He has the size, six foot two fifteen, the athleticism, the pass-catching ability demonstrated by that 10.4% college target share, and he's demonstrated the ability to handle, to absorb workhorse touches. So the emergence of Orleans Darkwa in New York is only a surprise to those that don't have access to playerprofiler.com. Just like the rebirth of Deion Lewis is a surprise to no one who uses playerprofiler.com. Deion Lewis has been the NFL's most elusive running back the last three years. Look at the juke rate the last three years. 58% number one in the NFL. 32% eighth in the NFL 46.2% this year, number six in the NFL. And I know what you're asking. Well, where did you get that 58%? You don't show 2015 stats on Player Profiler. You only show the last two years. Yes, we do. Go to data analysis, playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis. And there you can see stats going back to 2013. And you can pull a list of all wide receiver, snap shares, and routes run. That's how I was able to identify Tanner Gentry and Demarcus Robinson as breakout candidates this week. It's the power of data analysis. It seems Bill Belichick has access to data analysis because last week, Dion Lewis outsnapped, outtouched, and outproduced Mike Gillisley. And this is the week that you should be selecting Dion Lewis on draft. Go get the draft app. Go to your app store or go to playdraft.com, download the draft app, invite your friends to join a one week fantasy league. And everyone will play a unique roster, and your roster should feature Deion Lewis in that RB2 slot. When you sign up, use the promo code Underworld to get free entry into your first contest with a deposit of $10 or more. Now back to my fantasy teams. In the FFPC, my high-stakes league, where I own Amari Cooper. Woo! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm playing Deion Lewis over Mike Gillisley and over Giovanni Bernard, but I would never play him over my one true love, Jarek McKinnon.